Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the state project leader for the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project, and also the past infant medical director of TIPQC. I am really excited about today's conversation. We're going to talk further about the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project. This is a multi-year project that TIPQC is leading in all 12 of our state's level three and four NICUs. We're going big to try to fix a big problem. Tennessee has a high prematurity and infant mortality rate. Roughly one third of that infant mortality is due to what happens in the NICU. We figured that if we could dream big and tackle some of the major problems of prematurity correctly, we will make a huge impact in the care for all of Tennessee's tiniest citizens. Specifically, we are targeting potentially better practices for those babies born at less than 30 weeks and targeting some of the biggest and deadliest problems they encounter. We are close to wrapping up the first bundle in this project, reduction of severe intraventricular hemorrhage, and so far, we are on track to hit our goal. For the past several months, TIPQC has been developing the second bundle, Reduction in Chronic Lung Disease. We've had some previous podcasts. These are episodes 75 and episode 120. We've had the opportunity to sit down and talk with some of the national thought leaders on chronic lung disease reduction. Well, when we get to sit down today with some of the state leaders for this part of Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project. And we're gonna tell you all about what we have planned to do today. Today, we have Dr. Melinda Harris, Dr. Vineet Lambda, and respiratory therapist extraordinaire, Marla Kirk. They all helped us develop the Chronic Lung Disease Reduction Project for TIPQC. This truly is a statewide effort. Dr. Harris is a private practice neonatologist with pediatrics, working primarily at East Tennessee Children's Hospital in Knoxville. Dr. Lambda is an academic neonatologist working with UT Memphis Regional One Health in La Bonner in Memphis. And Marla Kirk is the lead respiratory therapist at the NICU at Methodist La Bonner in Germantown. Now, they also let me join in the fun and help them out with this a little bit as they created this bundle, as this project has continued to be a dream of mine we're already starting to see some tangible changes around the state with their interventricular hemorrhage bundle. And I can't wait to see what continues to happen with this one. So I want to welcome you all to our show today. Do you want to say hi real quick to our audience? Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's good to, good to be here. Thanks, Scott. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be a part of the team. So, Vineet, tell us a little bit about the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project, or TTB as we've been calling it. Yes, Scott. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Tennessee's preterm birth rate is one of the highest in the country. And a lot of this happens secondary to uh, the mortality related to prematurity. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that contribute to babies being born premature. And then a lot of factors that contribute to this mortality secondary to prematurity. 
And the whole idea behind Tennessee's tiniest babies is to reduce the mortality in infants less than 30 weeks, which are the highest risk by at least 25% of the Tennessee state baseline. And the way we are doing this is by addressing the most high impact areas that lead to preterm uh, mortality. And the hope is that we see uh, like a dose effect response with the implementation of each bundle, which addresses the broader global aim of reducing infant mortality in Tennessee. And what's really, really unique about this project is that smaller projects have been done before at hospital levels and even some at state levels, such as with the California Perinatal Quality Collaborative, and which have shown impact in statewide outcomes. But you know what we're doing is really ambitious because nothing has really been done on this scale to reduce mortality on a statewide level by getting buy-in from pretty much all everyone around the state. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, where this goes. Melinda, why is this work so important absolutely or actually in Tennessee? You know, as Vineet said, Tennessee's preterm birth rate and mortality rate are among the highest in the country. And this population of babies has the highest mortality rate of all. So our hope is, is that reducing the mortality rate in this subgroup of babies through consistent application of potentially better practices, we could maybe move the needle on the overall mortality rate among infants in Tennessee. We know that chronic lung disease is correlated with increased mortality and certainly of more significant morbidities. So in this particular bundle, we hope that by reducing chronic lung disease will have an impact on overall mortality among preterm infants in the state. Statewide, our median rate of chronic lung disease is about 41% among those hospitals that report to the Vermont-Oxford network. The median Vermont-Oxford network rate for all hospitals reporting is 31%, so we're certainly above that rate. A reduction in our rate of chronic lung disease may have a big impact on our uh, rate of mortality around the state. So having all the NICUs within the state engaged could really help our state achieve that goal. Yeah, that's what's really impressive about this and, and why I like this big, hairy, audacious goal we have, because Tennessee's a really long state. Like if, if Marlo and Vanit wanted to drive all the way to talk to you, Melinda, it would take like six hours to get there. I mean, we've got a really long state. There's a lot of geographic diversity, ethnic diversity, economic diversity across our state. There's lots of unique things that we're all dealing with and working with. Marla, I'm going to ask this one to you. Why is it so important for us to all work together to tackle uh, these problems of prematurity? The state of Tennessee has 12 level three and four NICUs. There is vast diversity within our state, which makes it even more important to make sure that we include the entire state in our effort to decrease chronic lung disease. Each level three and four hospital have many things that can contribute in making sure that we're implementing effective care strategies for Tennessee's tiniest babies. Bringing all of these teams to the forefront to offer their expertise allows us to put in place better practices and reduce chronic lung disease. Yeah. And, you know, I just like the fact that we get to share all the brain power in this uh, in this Zoom room that we're typically working in as we talk about these things, sharing on these things. And and not only that, but, you know, we're sending that once we've come up with this toolkit, we've sent it out to more people around the state, other respiratory therapists, other physicians, other neonatal nurse practitioners to make sure all these ideas that y'all have come up with actually can be implemented in all these different situations. So I think that's pretty cool. So, Vanita. Uh, Explain exactly what 
this TTB project, Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Project, is going to do? What do we hope to see in like 2027, 2028 when, when this is finally completed? So what we're really trying to do is try to implement evidence-based, potentially better practices, which not only improves the survival in this really vulnerable population, but helps provide just overall better care for all of our babies. And what we've done is broken up the project into different phases that delve into these PPPs or potentially better practices and targeted at specific disease processes. We've broken up the project into four bundles, the neuroprotection bundle, which focuses on reducing severe IVH, the respiratory bundle, which we'll be talking about more, which focuses on reducing chronic lung disease, and in the future, targeting to reduce necrotizing enterocolitis and hospital-acquired infections. And the idea is that by having all of these participating hospitals implementing these care bundles, cumulatively, all of these small little changes are going to add up, and it's going to lead to our hopefully eventual outcome of reducing mortality in this population. And I'm really excited that today we get to launch or discuss more about our toolkit that focuses on reducing chronic lung disease. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, I mean, Melinda... Explain this further for us. I mean, Tennessee, I think like on our March of Dimes report card recently, we got another D. It's like I think at least five, six, seven, maybe more than that years in a row. We've been hovering around that D status. I mean, we're really trying to do something big here. If this actually works and we're able to pull this off, what are our big global expected outcomes going to be? What do we think is going to happen over, over time? Yeah, Scott, I mean, we're all healthcare providers here. None of us want to be D students. So we want to make the grade. We want to do better for our babies around the state. We're hoping that by implementing the most potentially better practices for premature infants, that we can affect mortality overall. And if this is successful, then we should have an improved survival rate and less morbidity among this population of infants throughout the state. And that's an objective federally of the 2030 Healthy People Initiative. By succeeding in these areas, we could also reduce longer-term costs to the healthcare system. And we know that our babies, especially these preterm babies, already really rack up the cost in that area as well. The overarching aim of the Tennessee Tiniest Babies Project is to reduce mortality by 25% in babies born less than 30 weeks, as you said earlier. But in this specific bundle, we hope to have a 25% reduction in chronic lung disease in these babies across the state by June 2025 which is a really ambitious goal. The secondary aim of the study is to further reduce grade three BPD by 10%. All right. So now I want to get into some specifics of this bundle that you all had the opportunity to put together and work on and and develop. And so this bundle is how we are going to actually reduce chronic lung disease around the state. We're going to do this, right? All right. So Vineet, I want to kick this off with you. Why in the world is this such an important thing to tackle? I mean, I imagine we may have some parents listening to this, maybe some people who are not too familiar with chronic lung disease and what that potential, what that problem actually is. So I want you to break this down for us so like the parents listening to this podcast can understand, but also the healthcare providers listen to this. I mean, we're neonatologists, respiratory therapists that work in the NICU, neonatal nurse practitioners. I mean, we sort of deal with this, but... And we have general pediatricians listening to this, too, who are interested in what we're doing, all types of different people. So explain chronic lung disease for us and why this is such an important thing for us to tackle. 
Sure, Scott. So, you know, if there's any parents listening to this who've uh, had a baby in the NICU, you'll know that, uh, you know, us neonatologists love using acronyms. So CLD or chronic lung disease, sometimes people call it BPD or bronchopulmonary dysplasia as well. And it's a very common complication that many premature babies can have. Because when babies are born very early, as we know, all parts of their body are immature and their lungs are uniquely vulnerable to injury and slow development because often we have to mechanically ventilate babies to be able to help them to help them survive. And it's a very delicate balance between helping them and minimizing the injury to their ongoing ongoing lung development. So we know that premature babies have a lot of challenges that come at them. And for babies that survive beyond their first month of life, chronic lung disease or BPD becomes the leading cause of mortality. And we grade the severity of this chronic lung disease based on the amount of help with their breathing that they're needing at 36 weeks and corrected gestational age. And what we know from literature is that the more severe forms of chronic lung disease or BPD, you know, not only do they increase the risk of mortality, but it can have long-lasting consequences for these babies that last well beyond their initial hospitalization. And there's increased risk of rehospitalization during their first year of life, increased risk of having mortality even after going home from the NICU. So has anybody done any work like this before, Vineet? Is there anything that, that, that maybe y'all have drawn upon as you, you design this to help you figure out what to do? Yeah, thankfully, you know, a lot of things have been shown to reduce the risk of uh, chronic lung disease. Usually it's a multifactorial disease where lots of things go into developing this disease in babies. And as a result, you have to do a lot of different things to try to reduce the risk of uh, this disease. And as Dr. Barpet, when she had appeared in this um, podcast in episode 75, they discussed that they had launched a project at Nationwide Children's Hospital where through a focus on careful oxygen management and careful practice improvement in the first month of life, they were able to show a market reduction in BPD. They went from any BPD rate of about 73% prior to their bundle to 41% after their bundle. And they were able to reduce severe BPD, which we really care about the most because it has the longest lasting consequences down to 21%. And what they really showed is that what really led to the major success of their project was really a lot of consistency and care and buy-in from all different levels of providers in implementing these potentially better practices. And that's a repeated story in QI literature when it comes to improving chronic lung disease. A lot of things need to go just right to be able to prevent chronic lung disease in one baby, because even just one bad event can start a cascade that causes this disease. So we're really excited to put out these potentially best practices, which we think will have the biggest impact on this population. Yeah, and that's exciting. So, Melinda, I mean, we've got, as I mentioned already, we've got 12 level three and four NICUs around the state. Amazingly, everybody, all 100% participated in this first bundle that, that we've got going on right now, the severe interventricular hemorrhage reduction. Why do you think it's so important that every NICU continue to participate in this project? Well, like we've been talking about, chronic lung disease is the most common complication of prematurity. It can lead to other morbidities such as long-term neurodevelopmental delay and late-onset sepsis, which are other risks that our babies would be at. And we all want to do the best thing we can for these babies. So these babies are the same babies that are already participating, the same sort of babies that are already participating within the IVH bundle now. 
And what we know is that not every unit around the state has the same number of these premature babies. Some units have a lot of premature babies. Some units may just have a few. And so it's difficult to identify impactful practices in the short term with small numbers. But with a more robust number, like we can achieve working together as a state, we can better identify which practices may be more impactful than others and what we can do as a group to reduce the overall rate of chronic lung disease in the state. Additionally, some of the larger units may have the resources financially to be able to have a specific tiny baby team, and some of our smaller hospitals may not. And so not because of any lack of desire, but only just a lack of resources. And so working together statewide to essentially create a statewide small baby team may help us all get on the same level footing to reduce CLD across the state instead of having a discrepancy between larger institutions and smaller institutions. And when we look at other collaboratives that are really well-known and really successful, like the Canadian Neonatal Network, Vaughn, NICHD, and the CPQCC, we know that they have success doing the same sort of thing from a larger collaborative. So getting the same buy-in statewide that we've had with the IVH bundle is essential for chronic lung disease to have the same success. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you just explained the beauty of a collaborative, sharing resources, sharing knowledge, coming up with ideas that are going to help everybody no matter where you're at. That's beautiful. And that's why everybody listen to this. Please continue to participate in this project. So, hey, let's let's delve into this bundle of care just a little bit. These are the things that that y'all have uh, generously donated your time and worked on for the past six months. I'm just curious, how many papers do you uh, think you reviewed for this project? Quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) I would say a lot. (laughs) Marla, what about you? 25, 50, 75? Where are we up to so far? I would probably say at least 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we all spent a lot of time uh, and hours uh, developing this, going through what had been done, looking at what's been effective and other things. So, and, and I specifically wanted to get all of you involved because we've got a, a respiratory therapist, we've got two neonatologists, we've got one from the western part of the state, one from the eastern part of the state. Vineet, describe real quickly to the audience, you know, what was the process of creating this bundle? What did we do to come up with this? We just didn't make this up or pull it out of, out of thin air. How exactly did we do this? Yeah, you know, Scott, like you said, we reviewed a lot of uh, extensive literature and we talked to a lot of other people who had been able to implement successful QI projects in this area. And really every PBP or potentially better practice that we're proposing as part of this bundle has been independently shown to improve outcomes, and potentially reduce the risk of BPD or mortality. And for ease of kind of following, we decided to break up the PBPs into the phase of management, that is, you know, early management in the first seven days of life, intermediate management in the first month of life, and universal interventions that really should be applied at any phase of the care of these babies. And, you know, it really is to stress that a lot of the interventions and a lot of the PVPs are really preventive because prevention is, you know, the best treatment when it comes to CLD. And once we completed this toolkit in the bundle, you know, not only did we internally review it, but we sent it out to MDs, nurse practitioners, respiratory therapists around the state to get their feedback and incorporate all of that feedback before finalizing this toolkit. Wow, you made me tired just like recapping. 
<laughs> That'd be neat. So let's do this. Let's hit the highlights real quick. Melinda, what are some other things we recommended? So Scott, some of the things I think that are really important are similar to what we also had in the IVH bundle. So making sure that the antenatal practices that we know are impactful for IVH are probably and have been shown to be impactful for chronic lung disease too. And one of the things I really want to express the importance of, because this is something essential to my own practice, is having good communication with our obstetrical and family practice colleagues even if they're outside the institution in which you're currently delivering babies. Because we know that the babies being transferred in from outside facilities are at the highest risk of these morbidities. And so trying to have that good communication with those providers early to either get mom transferred to a hospital closer to where you are, or at least being in on the conversation uh, so that your team may be present when that baby delivers. And we know how important that can be, if anything, to also modify the level of stress within that unit. And so I think it's important that your colleagues there know that there's an open line of communication so that they can reach out to you or the higher risk obstetricians at your facility to be able to have that conversation back and forth about what advice you can give them to how best optimize the management of these smaller babies. You know, one of the things that we we carried on from the severe interventricular hemorrhage reduction is making sure they get the steroids on board. That's helpful with chronic lung disease reduction too. So I love this that you made sure that we've we're communicating well. We're getting these smaller centers involved because this care really begins at the at the smaller centers, especially for those outborn babies. What are some other things that, that were included, Melinda? One of the other things that we've highlighted both in early and later management of babies is the idea of permissive hypercapnia, which is kind of defined within our bundle as a goal of maintaining a CO2 level between 50 and 60. It's been utilized in previously published respiratory gear bundles, and it's shown an overall reduction in ventilator days in most studies and a suggestion of reduction in chronic lung disease as well. But as intuitively as it is, if you're more gently ventilating babies, then the goal would be to cause less barrow and volutrauma. And hopefully that would then cause less chronic lung disease. And so having that as part of whatever respiratory bundle that your unit develops in conjunction with your multidisciplinary team, I think is a pretty essential part. One of the other things I'd just like to mention when talking about permissive hypercapnia is the utility of having non-invasive CO2 monitoring, like transcutaneous CO2 monitoring, because then we are also obtaining less blood, causing less pain to these babies by getting frequent blood gases. And so having a more real-time measurement of what their carbon dioxide level is to be able to make vent management changes or to clue you in to you need to get a gas sooner because things don't seem to be trending in the right way, I think is a pretty essential part to better managing the respiratory status of these kids. Yeah, that's one of the things we picked up from UAB's project and, and the literature there, the importance of, of what a transcutaneous CO2 monitor can do. And it's one of the powers, again, of working with the collaborative, because as we've talked to people and developed this, we know that there are some NICUs in our state that they don't have the ability to do transcutaneous CO2 monitoring. So if you're an administrator listening to this and your neonatologist comes to you and says they need a new piece of equipment, Please listen to them. What else, Melinda, did, was included in this? 
So one of my projects that I'm pretty passionate about and I've worked on for a long time with our, in our unit is reducing the rate of unplanned extubation. We have, our unit itself has participated within a national collaborative similar to TIPQC in working on this effort as well. We know that unplanned extubation is associated with a higher risk for mortality and morbidities, especially among these highest risk babies. And then we know that having an unplanned extubation that does not work out in the end results in more ventilator days, right? So sometimes you do have an unplanned extubation where the kid can stay extubated, but lots of times you have to reintubate. And then you've kind of gone backwards for a few days on being able to actually extubate the baby in a more controlled manner. And so there's lots of great evidence out there for different strategies that units can adopt to look at how to reduce unplanned extubation within their unit. Regardless, I think it's important that each unit develop a strategy and at least identify their rates of unplanned extubation as part of this project. Marla, let me get you to jump in here for a little bit and comment from a respiratory therapist that was involved in developing this bundle. What are some important things that that we included for the respiratory therapist that I think is going to be helpful? to sort of how we do the ventilator management for these babies and things of that nature. So it's important for us as respiratory therapists to be sure that we're proactive in in the tiny baby's care and start all of that starts in the delivery room. So early CPAP administration, TPC use, administering surfactant if it's indicated, of course, if they're intubated and then surfactant less than two hours of life when indicated. And then we want to use the general ventilation guidelines. So, you know, it only takes one one breath to cause trauma to a baby. So it's important for respiratory therapists to be proactive and work with our doctors and nurse practitioners in order to make sure that these babies are getting what they need in a timely manner and that we're weaning them as quickly as possible and ventilating them effectively so that we're not overventilating and causing more trauma. Yeah, that's great. And you know, one of the things I really liked from a respiratory therapist that you were able to bring into this was some of the protocols. I mean, we've got two great protocols. Vanderbilt shared one with us, Labonner shared one with us. So we've got a ventilator protocol and sort of some suggestions and what you should start your babies out on to make some more uniform decisions amongst the neonatal intensive care unit and amongst the providers and hopefully amongst the state too. And then some extubation guidelines associated with that as well. And so this is something that a respiratory therapist can take and use at the bedside, which I think is, again, the power power of a collaborative is sharing knowledge, sharing people's experiences and coming up with, uh, with better practices. But let me get you to jump in here for a second. Tell us about some of the sections that you worked on and and what are some of the the recommendations that came out of uh, your review of the literature? Yes, Scott. Uh, So like I mentioned, you know, a lot of treatment for for CLD is really active prevention and providing the most gentle care that we possibly can. So some of the things that we worked on was firstly, gentle ventilation guidelines. We've incorporated a lot of guidelines from across the state, some from the Vanderbilt respiratory guidelines and some from ours. But the general idea is that it's been shown that volume targeted ventilation is generally preferential in these population. And the Cochrane review comparing volume targeted ventilation to pressure control does show a reduced risk of PPD in with volume targeted ventilation. And we understand that, you know, every 
center across the state has different resources, different ventilators. So what we propose is really that every center just develop guidelines of providing ventilation in the most gentle way, whether it's pressure control or volume guarantee, but always trying to limit the maximum peak inspiratory pressures, the maximum tidal volumes that are delivered, and having a way of consistently monitoring that in this high-risk population. The other things um, that uh, are relatively easy to do and make a big impact is optimizing caffeine administration. It's been shown that early caffeine administration within the first 24 hours of life and using the higher range of the dose range, which is the equivalent of 10 milligrams per kilogram per dose of caffeine citrate or 5 milligrams per kilogram of caffeine base at a minimum has been shown to reduce the risk of BPD in this population. Some other things that we also focused on were reducing planned or elective extubation failure. The Canadian Perinatal Collaborative showed that babies who uh, remain extubated for at least seven days after a planned elective extubation by far have the lowest risk of uh, BPD or mortality compared to babies that require reintubation within 48 hours or 72 hours. So really, we propose a lot of guidelines to try to reduce this extubation failure in these planned elective extubations by primarily using peri-extubation caffeine, extubating to NIPPV when available because NIPPV as compared to CPAP as primary post-extubation support reduces the risk of extubation failure. And depending on the different interfaces and devices that are being used in your unit, are trying to make sure that we're trying to minimize leak or compensate for leaks when using nasal ventilation. And I think one of the things that you know, I have a little bit of personal passion towards is using a risk-based approach to postnatal steroids. We all know that postnatal steroids can be effective at trying at uh, getting uh, these really premature babies extubated, but they do come with their own risks as well. And every single body like the AAP has recommended that postnatal steroids are of utility when used in the correct population. So I think it's a matter of us as a community being more careful about having a standardized risk assessment of these babies and giving steroids to the babies that would benefit from it most where the benefits outweigh the risk. And the general consensus is that by using well-validated tools like the NICHD BPD risk estimator, you know, babies who have a risk of uh, grade 2, grade 3 BPD or deaths that is more than 50% by two weeks of life are the babies that are most likely to benefit from postnatal steroids where it can give them confer a lower risk of BPD, but also actually a better neurodevelopmental outcome than what is associated with the severe grades of BPD. Wow. Yeah, y'all did a fantastic summary of that. That's awesome. But Melinda, there's one more thing. This is one of the things I think we learned, like everybody sort of working together and talking to other NICUs and figuring out what people did. And that had to do with the diagnosis of BPD. Why did we actually include in the toolkit about that and making sure people were doing what they needed to do to diagnose this correctly? So one of the things we thought about and we gathered from the other NICUs, some of the other resources are, are we even diagnosing correctly who has chronic lung disease? And so once babies are convalescing and they're working on PO feedings, we want to make sure that 
the amount of support we're giving them is necessary. And so as part of this bundle, we want to incorporate the idea of a room air trial. And so we recommend that any baby on nasal cannula flow, not including those on CPAP or anything higher than that, of course, because that could be dangerous. We're talking about kids on nasal cannula support. We're recommending that each unit develop a room air trial protocol to be done on babies between 35 and 5 and 36 weeks corrected, where you incrementally reduce the support to truly and accurately record what support is actually needed for that baby. And we may be surprised. There may be babies that are on a nasal cannula that don't truly need it when we actually try to take it away in that manner. And so we want to make sure that every unit's rates of chronic lung disease are actually accurate. Yeah, that's lovely. I absolutely like that. Y'all nailed that. That was perfect going through all those things in that toolkit. So as we begin to wrap this up, as we mentioned, there may be some parents that are listening to us or maybe parents-to-be that are listening to us. What message would you give to them, especially if maybe they already have a baby in the NICU and they're wanting to learn about chronic lung disease to make sure their NICU is doing the right thing, or maybe they're worried because they know they're going to have a premature baby for some reason that this might happen to them? What message of hope would you give to them? What message of, of just some general wisdom, knowledge would you give to them? Melinda, let me start with you first. I would just want to let them know that, first off, every NICU is working the hardest they can to provide the best care for your baby. But participation in this project helps us all work together. And so I think it's important for parents to know that NICUs who are participating within this project are truly working towards developing evidence-based, potentially better practices so that we can all work together to improve the overall outcome of these babies. And Marla, how can a hospital get their NICU to join this project? Let's say maybe there's an administrator that wants to make sure they're doing this. Uh, What would you tell them to do? I would direct them to the TIP QC website and specifically the TTB section. And on the website, we have a Tennessee's Tiniest Babies uh, section where you can get all the information about this. All right, guys, I'm ready to wrap this up. This is my favorite question, though because I get to sort of pick your brain and learn about you a little bit more and get some maybe general wisdom that you'd want to share with people. If somebody gave you the power to put up a big billboard somewhere, uh, Melinda, for you, it's somewhere in I-40, and I guess Marla and Benite for you, it's somewhere in I-40 too, <laughs> going into Knoxville, going into Memphis, and you could put something on that billboard that maybe it's something about this project that you want people to know, but maybe it's like something meaningful quote, some words of wisdom that mean a whole lot to you. What would you say? Melinda, what would you say? I really like this quote by Helen Keller that says, alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. It's really one of the things that helps drive me when I think about achieving the projects we can achieve within my own NICU, but just also in life. Love it. Marla, give me some words of wisdom. So I really like this quote by Tony Robbins. By changing nothing, nothing changes. To me, working in healthcare, healthcare changes daily. And we have to adapt to those changes. And I feel like if we're not adaptable to helping those changes, then nothing's ever going to change. We can never advance in what we're doing and the care that we're giving to our patients. Tanit, wrap us up. What words of wisdom would you share with the audience? 
Yeah, I think we're all on the same note about uh, changes. And I think one thing I would like to stress to everyone is that you know, small little changes, every small little change adds up and can make a big difference. And that's really the philosophy of this entire bundle and entire project. It's every small little change to the everything that we do on a daily basis can make a big difference for these babies. Yep. Love it. And I really appreciate all the time and effort y'all have put into this. So Dr. Lambda, Dr. Harris, Ms. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, remember to take a look at the show notes where you can access the TIPQC site and link to learn more about the Tennessee's Tiniest Babies Projects and specifically about chronic lung disease reduction. And as always, thanks so much for tuning into another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.